Welcome to episode 192 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And just like the dark heart of today's episode, we consume all content before us and reshape it into our own horrifying image. Our single-minded robot-like brains must absorb everything until there is nothing but Tim Talk. Um, or at least we're going to consume the next 31 episodes of Justice League. Great. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then figure it out from there. And I'm Cameron Dexter. You did I said that. that already? You did that. Okay. <laughs> really making things confusing here with these unnecessary intros. No, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> now the thing is I've set myself into a trap. Because now you have to do you have to finish it. Every every time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quickly running out of steam. Uh, but we are back. We're talking some more Justice League Unlimited. And we are actually doing three episodes today. Yes. A bumper episode plus the return of notes from friends. So, Ooh. yes. So a slightly longer one here. But, you know, I think people will still appreciate it. Yeah. Right? They listen to it just to hear us talk. I mean, I do. <laughs> Lord knows why. Uh, so we're covering Ultimatum. Dark Heart and Wake the Dead, uh, yes. leaving us to then tackle our season one finale on our next episode. Ooh, oh, wow. We're already there. Yeah, I know. We're moving moving quickly. It's a, they're short seasons. They're only 13 episodes each. I know. So I, I'm not ready for this. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's coming to a close here soon. But until then, we have plenty to talk about. So uh, should we go ahead and just uh, dive on in here? Let's get jump started? right into it, man. All right. So starting things off with Ultimatum. Uh, so the League encounters the Ultimen, uh, a new team of young, talented, but untrained superheroes who are not only making a name for themselves, but are starting to make the League seem a little bit out of touch. And we quickly learn that all the Ultimen are actually genetically engineered beings created by embittered Emile Hamilton and publicly managed by shady businessman Maxwell Lord. No relation. Uh, and they are the latest creation of Project Cadmus, a shadowy government program designed to oppose the Just League and led by the indomitable. Amanda Waller, as the cellular structure of the Ultimen begins to fail, they set out on a mission of revenge against Lord, no relation, Project Cadmus, and ultimately the Justice League itself. Yeah, we're in it, Chris. Yeah. No, I mean, and right at the forefront is your uncle, Maxwell exactly. Lord. <laughs> Maxwell Lord, no relation. You call him Uncle Maxie. <laughs> How does it feel to be related to a supervillain? Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to continue to maintain we're not related to it, but if we were... But he is I, your uncle. I, I do want to say publicly, as fact, he is your uncle, Maxwell Lord. Uncle Maxie. You know, if, if I weren't uh, consistently publicly denying uh, the relationship, I would say that he's actually a really lovely person. Good. Most of the time, he gives great Christmas presents. I would only expect the best. Yeah, um, you know... He, Subpar advice. Yeah, he can get a little bit megalomaniacal, especially around, like, who sits where at the, the dinner table. He gets really possessive over very unnecessary details. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he tends to just kind of, like, lord his power everywhere he possibly can. But to be fair, in a family that... All of us do that all the time. It makes for a lot of really fun conflicts. So sometimes I like to just watch it all unfold in front of me. Good. Yeah. How does he feel about a subpar movie? Uh, not not the biggest fan. Okay. I mean, like like all the rest of us, he loves Pedro Pascal. Of course. Um, but was ultimately just a little bit underwhelmed by what he was given to do. So great. You well, know, this, this one's for you, Uncle Uncle Maxie. Yep. We I love you, Uncle Maxie. <laughs> Hashtag no relation. Uh, but yeah, so. This, so one of the most, so yeah, you said we're right into it. This is now the second episode this season that's really setting up where we're going. 
you know, uh, obviously we had Fearful Symmetry with Galatea um, recently. And now this one's like, okay, this is the first time we actually say the name Project Cadmus, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. Um, it's our introduction to Amanda Waller. Oh, and what an intro it is. <clears throat> and we will get to that. Um, but yeah, like this is really setting up the path that we're going to be heading to for all of season two. And at the time that they were making this, I think it was intended to be just the rest of Justly Limited before they got an unexpected green light for a third season. Um, but one of my favorite things about this episode is it's also the most blatant reference to super friends at any point in the entire dcau oh incredibly yeah and to way more layered than i thought it was so real quickly let's just talk about the the ultimen themselves and how it all connects so we have uh wind dragon whose powers is air manipulation who's modeled after samurai a character from super friends who i i really don't know anything about samurai and i'll be honest i forgot to look it up as did i yes i can't remember if he's actually part of the comics or not i think he might be um, but anyway, same power set. We get Juice, who has the power of electricity manipulation, who's based off of Black Vulcan. Mm-hmm. We have Long Shadow, whose power is to just grow really tall. Uh, and luckily they changed his name because before it was Apache Chief. Not great. Not great. Not great. Uh, and then my favorites are Downpour and Shifter, who have the respective abilities to turn into water and to turn into animals. And they are modeled after Zan and Jaina, a.k.a the wonder twins yes i have some (laughs) problems with them you do there's one instance and it was very small and it was very dumb and i shouldn't be as petty as this but i'm gonna be this petty okay uh where you know their power is you have to be a form of water it's um downpour yeah he has to say a form of water but at one point he just says water as his form and he just turns into a puddle and i'm like excuse me that's not how your power works well also, to be fair, why does he have to distinguish each time? No matter what, he's just water. It's just water in different circumstances. Yeah, we also see that he can also just, like, project water from his hands as he shot at Aquaman. Yeah. Which, it is worth noting. When they all split up towards the end of the episode and the Ultimate are kind of more or less paired off one-on-one against different members of the League, um, why would the person whose power is to control water go up against Aquaman. Well, I mean, I feel like they were all trying to, like, best their their counterparts. Because, like, Wind Dragon, he, like, he said at the beginning, like, he looked up to Superman. He is the leader. He's yeah. kind of the, the strongest one. So, of course, he's going to go up against the other leader, the other strongest one. Because mm-hmm. Batman was not available. It's <laughs> true. Uh, and so with with the twins, you know, they are ocean and sea life, respectively. And so, of course, they're going to try and take down the one character who controls both of those both things. Of them. I, I mean, I, I do love that they flood a, a room and then the um, shifter turns into a, a T-Rex and tries yeah. to, like, eat Aquaman underwater. It would have been amazing if she had tried to turn into a killer shark and he had just gone, no. Yeah. Just... <laughs> like, what's going on? Hold on. I mean, at one point, he even literally says, like, king of the seas yeah like, what did you think was gonna happen here <laughs> yeah it's look it's it's a dumb it's it's like it's such a dumb idea the wonder twins that it has become like a trope and a joke in its own right like that concept you see parody and i feel like like family guy and a bunch of other places you see it referenced all the time they did the wonder twins mm-hmm. i will say they do a fairly decent job here of making it seem grounded in this universe and not completely ridiculous 
Oh, absolutely. This episode is incredible. I Before watching the next two, I wrote in my notes, is this the best episode? And I'm like, oh, wait, the next two are also the best episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing about this season in particular, is except for, I think, as you very well put, Hawk and Dove being the seven amongst the nines, like every episode, you're like, my God, is this the best episode mm-hmm. of the season? Well, for me, especially why I love this episode particularly is this is Joaquim DeSantos directing. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's directed a couple of these episodes. Joaquim DeSantos also famously directed the majority of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. This feels like the pre-reel for Avatar. Mm. You have the air manipulator, electricity, and water manipulation. Yeah. Of like... Wait, electricity. Well, I mean, there's uh, Juice, and also Azula has... Um, oh, I guess yeah. Fire, firebending can kind of advance their powers too. Okay, fine. I was trying to. Bending. I was trying to remember where the electricity part came in in, in Avatar. But yes, you're right. Yes, yeah, so it is first introduced in season two, episode one. Great, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, two. Okay, season two. No, it is season. Yeah, it is episode one. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it's when we meet. What's her name again? Azula. Thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like, yeah, I guess this is kind of like a precursor for um, Walking to Santa's. Wait, wait. I, only answer this very specific question when it comes to Avatar. <laughs> I make no promises. What what year did that come out? 2005. <clears throat> okay, so that was right after this. Because mm-hmm. this came out December of 2004. Yeah. So I would presume that Avatar was probably in development while this was airing. Probably. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very yeah, because I was I was thinking, because in all three of these episodes, there's a very specific character missing. Uh, a very bright the flash yes yeah i mean we have yet to have a speaking line from the flash so far this and i was about to say because i don't know if we even get him in the next episode i can't remember well i was i was thinking about it and i googled it and this is when michael rosenbaum became like a main character in smallville oh this would have been the time of like season two season three of Mm -hmm. smallville so he's no longer like a side character he's like one of the the i think this is when he's like roommates with them or is I at one point he like people start living at Lex Mansion? I don't remember. <clears throat> it's been a long. I think time. Lana lives there for a bit. Maybe that sounds kind of right. Yeah, I don't. It, and I think that's about this time. So I assume Rosenbaum is probably just very busy with Smallville. He probably is. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe, especially watching these three episodes, it remind me how much they really love to emphasize the uh, the Trinity. Like, mm-hmm. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman really do get a lot of airtime. And even GL is kind of sidelined for the most part. He appears in a lot of them, but doesn't have a lot to do, you know, kind of wake the dead, excluded. Right. But yeah, no Flash. I know. it's I miss him. I honestly don't remember when we get his next speaking line. I, I g- genuinely cannot remember if he's in the Once in Future thing, but I would suspect not, because very little of that is actually set in the present. So. Yeah. Mm, we'll get to it. Um but yeah, so beyond just like the team all being comprised of versions, we'll say, of the old Super Friends kind of supporting characters, um, even down to the League members present here are the other League members in Super Friends. So Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Yeah. Like those are the other heroes that comprised that team. Uh, there's a really quick reference. Is we see the top of the tower where the old men live. The old Super Friends Hall of Justice is kind of like situated up at the top of it there. Um, and then even the lava men they're fighting at the very beginning were basically based off of lava men from one of the episodes of Super I think Friends. it was the first episode. It of may Super have Friends. been, in fact, yeah. Um, which okay, right over the top. So like when we when we first meet everyone, there's these lava men are attacking oil rig, right? And the league 
they're just killing him kind of left, right, including Aquaman, who's like using his hook and just slicing them apart. Should they really be killing these creatures? They're non-humanoid looking, so well, of course that means they're that allowed they, to. They can, but you know, even one of the Ultimate makes a comment of like, you know, these poor creatures, like we disrupted their homes. You know, they are not at fault here. And you would think that Aquaman, who you know might have a bit of sympathy towards them because they did come from the ocean, even if they're not necessarily amongst his people and mm-hmm. animals. But yeah, he's just out there, just like hooking them left and right. Yeah, I felt bad for them. I I think it's it's one of those where it's. I, I agree. I feel like Aquaman, he sees them as like they're below creatures, not like like hierarchy, like hierarchy below, but like he said they're from the magma. Right. And so like just below the ocean. So they're like, it's not his <laughs> realm anymore. Like they're they're just outside of his district. Well, and we do see that uh, Aquaman could just be a little bit prejudiced. <laughs> from time to what time. What are you talking about? From time to time. Women can't play chess. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Um, I know, I felt bad for them, but like basically that just becomes an intro point for us to see that the the ultimate come in and like kind of save the day and Wind Dragon unexpectedly is able to freeze a bunch of the, the lava men with his powers. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh. And neither did he. Oh, what if that's setting up something possibly? Um, but I love it from there. Then we go to a... Uh, prison break where bizarro and giganta are trying to break out gorilla grod and so wonder woman and long shadow who desperately wants to be part of the league like jump in and it was just super fun to see bizarro back again it was because i think the last we saw him he was left on that alien planet to babysit and mixer mixie's pitlick or he was i don't remember it was the, the crossover oh episode. wow yeah it, it was <clears> that long ago we haven't seen him since then so we don't know why he's back but i mean you know it's comic book universe yeah. i mean he's doing a time. great hunchback of notre dame impression he really is of you know why are you doing this he's like the girl i love i have to save her boyfriend i'm like oh quasimodo yeah. oh but <laughs> really sorry to hear that bud what happens when you break out her boyfriend <laughs> i don't know is plebis gonna set fire to all of uh all of france i forgot that guy's name was plebis <laughs> it's plebis i don't i i think i'm missing a letter but we're gonna go with plebis for now okay because i thought for a second there you were making another greek god reference i'm like wait no no he's talking hunchback of notre dame mm-hmm. that does not sound very french it sounds very greek god it does but, but i think that is it i'll let you wor- worry about that and look it up yeah again. i i will get a lot of hate. yeah but you know so then we do see professor hamilton again and he's explained like oh yeah like their their cellular structure is failing that's why wind dragon has to use power like they have a matter of days maybe um, and this is also when we meet Maxwell Lord. <clears throat> Again, no relation. Uncle Maxie. Mm-hmm. Who I, I want to note is voiced by uh, Tim Matheson, who you probably don't know who that is. Uh, but he famously played Otter in Animal House. Uh, if you ever watched Burn Notice, he was like Michael's former like mentor, sort of like mentor slash antagonistic person. Got it. He does like a lot of TV directing. But he's got a very like distinct voice and charm. Kind of this this notoriously like charming actor, charming character. He's usually a bit of a sleaze. Uh, he was also the villain in the Brady Bunch sequel for any of those. You remember oh, that good. movie? <laughs> uh, so he, he kind of plays this archetype a lot, but I think he's a perfect casting choice for, for Maxwell Lord here, who just really brings the sleaze to the point where Batman's like, if Maxwell Lord is involved, it's about money and nothing else. And everyone's kind of like, okay, Bruce. Like, yeah. It's like coming from you. That's <laughs> saying a lot. Wonder Woman even says like, um, not everyone's independently wealthy to finance the Justice League. <laughs> Oh, okay, and they make him just, like, very much just a businessman. Yeah. He, like, I feel like he starts off as a pretty high-status character. Yeah. 
with the with the ult- Ultimate, but then like once everyone else starts getting introduced, he's just a background character. Like he oh, is yeah. nothing in this episode. Well, to be fair, everyone seems high status until Amanda Waller shows up. Yes. Who even can put Batman in his place. Rich boy. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like Maxwell Lord a lot in this. And he's not a character I'm super familiar with. I mean, you know, obviously the Wonder Woman 84 is kind of his most popular, if you want to call it that, appearance. Yeah, uh, pop culture relevant. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I know, I know he's got a big role to play in, uh, I want to say Identity Crisis, but I've never actually read that series, so... I don't remember that aspect of it. I just remember the Dr. Light storyline. I think that's Identity Crisis. It is. Yeah. I think he dies in that, right? He might. I mean, a lot of people die in that. that yeah, arc. that's fair. It's it's dark. I think that of the like Crisis series, I think that is the darkest of them. Yeah. It's one of the ones that I've been meaning to go back and read at some point. Because I think it's also maybe not quite as cumbersome as, say, Final Crisis, which was a slog mm-hmm. to get through. Yeah. I mean, that's where I started, stupidly. I remember, I remember you saying that. I was like, my God. Like, I read that last year, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Mm-hmm. God, Jimmy Grant Morrison. I mean, they're all that way, though. Infinite Crisis, which I loved growing up. That yeah. was like, that's the one that like, got me into it. It got me hooked. Yeah. I reread that, yeah, I guess last year. I'm like, none of this makes sense. <laughs> There's, what, 72 issues I need to read to understand the beforehand stuff? Oof. No. I'm not going to do that. Pass. Yeah. Pass, pass. Um, but yeah, so now Amanda Waller is also in the scene and basically like, nope, kill them all, clone them, bring out the new ones. We don't trust them anymore. And Long Shadow overhears them somehow. I don't know if like he grew his eardrum or something like that so we get to hear them. They don't explain why he hears them and no one else does. But they're on to them. he's focused. So focused. They try to escape um, and end up causing a big scene. And then the League shows up. And I, I love this little moment. Um, and they even showed it in the preview. They said that shot of like Superman flying and then Wonder Woman flying. And even in the, the, the opening credits preview, I remember thinking like, oh, that's funny. Like, I thought I remember Batman appearing then. And then sure enough, in the episode itself, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then Batman on the whirly bat with the Aquaman holding on to the side of it. Do you think he was, I, because I, I got in Batman's head in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think he was so excited to finally have someone else at his speed who right. couldn't fly. <laughs> it's like, finally, someone on my playing field. Ahmed, do you need a ride? He's never been able to ask anyone for a ride. That's true. That's absolutely true. It, it, you know what? I, I, I appreciate they're kind of going for old school campiness here. They're trying to bring some of these elements back. I got to be honest. The Whirly Bat was one piece that just did not translate well. I don't care. I loved it. It looked so dumb. I even, I even read a little bit of trivia that Bruce Timm said they spent a lot of time trying to design it to make it look plausible in this universe, and fans still hated it. I, I loved it. It looks, it looks. Bruce, if you're listening, I'm a fan. It, I mean, it looked, it looked, it looked stupid. I think it made it worse, made it seem sillier that Aquaman was then hanging off the side of it. Yes. I mean, but how else did he get there, though? On the, top, the back of a giant flying seahorse. I did watch the Super Friends and Challenge Super Friends opening scenes, like the opening uh, intro animations today as, as research for this. And there are a number of times they just show Aquaman flying next to Superman and Wonder Woman. And I don't think they, I think they just did it and never bothered to explain. I'm going to say it's a bunch of microscopic fish organisms <laughs> but he's just right in the back a bunch of little flying fish yes, yes. they're just very tiny and you can't see them do seagulls count for him no because it's well, well that's interesting i will say no 
Yeah. But, but his I, definition of like marine animals is so broad. Right. Because if it's just fish, then it shouldn't be whales and sharks and, and dolphins. Yeah. Other mammals. Yeah. So I don't know. It would know. just be octopi. <laughs> <laughs> Everything would be octopus focused. So, I mean, I, I actually, I legitimately don't know this. I've never bothered to look up to see, in the comics at least, how far his control goes. But I wonder if it does extend out to, like, marine birds. Yeah, pelicans. Pelicans, seagulls. Can you sit in the egrets. pouch of a pelican? <laughs> Only the giant ones. Yeah. <laughs> I have to look this Go up full now. Finding Nemo. <laughs> I don't look this up. It's amazing. That's a fair point. In Finding Nemo, the fish can talk to the, the, plant, uh, the, the birds. Yeah, but we don't have it. We don't know. There's no restriction on that. If we know, like, oh, can all, all animals, animals can communicate. Well, yeah, I mean, there's I guess... no moment of like a dog going up on the window. Oh, that's a good like, point. Oh, Do... we like it's a rabid animal. It's like no, like you have not set the restriction of can I talk to dogs as well. Do we see any land animals in Finding Dory? I've I don't seen, believe so. I've only seen it that one time. I don't know. That no, would... Dory, because you have you have the. The seals and the other birds. And the sea otters. Them. Yes. Sea otters involved. All, all I remember is my favorite part of that movie was just Idris Elba's uh, sea lion. I did not realize it was Idris it was, Elba. Yeah, it's like, it, was, it was like Gerald, right? As a mm-hmm. Oh, get off, get off, get off, get off, that, get off. That is incredible. It did not click with me <laughs> until just now. That was big driss. Um, God, the man is versatile. Ugh. Love him. Love him so I, much. I was having a conversation ha- bouncing off of Suicide Squad, which gets a, a reference in this episode. It does, in fact, yeah. Um, my friend was talking about, like, oh, man, like, do you remember when Big Driss was, like, in talk to be the next James Bond, and then that fell through, and now he just takes on, like, any role he wants? I'm like, no, he was always that, he's always that way. Yeah, he, like, he, also, I don't, th- I don't think he has to take on a lot of these. I think he just does them because he wants yeah, to. Yeah, because they're fun. Yeah, and even if, like, even if he does some of them just as a paycheck, it's not like he ever phones it in. Right. Like, he gives it his all. He, he's not pulling an Amy Adams here. <laughs> I'm so mean to Amy what Adams. What are you talking about? I, I Michelle just... Williams? <laughs> oh, Michelle Williams. I mean, the, the entire cast of Venom, aside from Tom Hardy, who is <laughs> trying way too hard. Yes. Like, how many fuck? Because I'm, is Michelle Williams an Oscar winner or just an Oscar nominee? I cannot remember. I think just nominee. I think a nominee. But no, and then Riz Ahmed, I think now is also an Oscar nominee. But it's, it's like one of those movies. Like, how many Oscar nominees? I forgot that he's also in that movie. He, yeah, exactly. How many Oscar nominees are in this that just don't give a shit about what they're doing? Yeah. <laughs> they got their nomination. They're out of the Oscar curse. Yeah. That's all they care about. Exactly. But no, I, I'm sorry. But yeah, Idris Elba, no matter what he's in, is giving it his all. Even in Hobbs and Shaw as whatever that character's name was, but we just know him as Black Superman. Yeah. He's there, he's having a blast, and we're enjoying it, despite the rest of the movie being otherwise kind of shit. Exactly. Big Driss can do anything. He can do anything. And should do everything. And should do everything. We love we love ourselves some Big Driss in this podcast. Uh, what were we talking about? Pelicans? Pelicans. Pelicans. Aquaman's powers. Aqu- oh, that's it. The gyrocopter, that's right. Yes. The whirly bat. Um, but, so... There is this weird moment that happens. This is character turn, right? So the the Ultimate realize that they, they've been told now. They've they've been the truth has been revealed. You're all genetically engineered, you're all dying, essentially, and you're just gonna be replaced with new clones. And there's a moment when then Wind Dragon decides, okay, well, Cadmus has left. They've literally moved offices out of this building. So we're just gonna take our anger out on we're gonna take the whole place down. 
And Longshadow points out, well, there are other people in the building, and he just does not care. And it felt like the logic leap there made no sense to me. So I was very happy when Batman shows up and goes, you're not making any sense. Like, thank you. Someone is acknowledging the fact that these character choices are just completely asinine. Well, I think I think there was a, a, a moment in there that was skipped over where it's he wasn't told that the building was that they were gone or he was told. But he, in his mind, they're like, no, they're still here. Mm. And so they were destroying the place Maybe. trying to find the remnants of Cadmus. OK, I think he even says like something like like let's t- one of them says, like, let's just bring the building down on top of us. I I, th- I think it was downpour who says it. Let's just take the building down on top of us. And then once the league shows up, like, OK, well, now we're going to become famous as the people that take down the Justice League. It's all just a little bit convenient, I suppose. But it's, it's I guess it's chalked up to the fact like their cells are literally degrading and they've lost their minds. I I, I think there's also kind of this existential permanence that goes along with it okay of like you were told you have hours left to live mm-hmm. and then someone else is going to come in and just resume where you left off yeah i suppose that's fair that makes you feel so in like so repl- i mean literally replaceable yeah and so they're trying to do anything to cement themselves in history yeah they are these heroes they are kind of ba- you know raised over a year to be, you know, the the team. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the new Justice League. And so then they're left with, like, how can we cement ourselves and also kind of ruin Cadmus's plan in the future? That's fair, yeah. Of, like, if we have this symbol, then they can't rewrite that symbol. Yeah. Of, like, I took down Superman. Any other Wind Dragon that comes after me has that legacy of taking down Superman. Yeah, and, the, yeah, they can't be heroes anymore because... We've tarnished the name, essentially. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I feel like now at this point we got to talk about Amanda Waller. Let's do it. Who is voiced by the, the great CCH Pounder, who it might, like, this is, to me, the definitive Amanda Waller. I do love Viola Davis in those movies, even if she has very little to do. But, like, to me, this is Amanda Waller. Yes. She just has this incredible commanding presence. It It does feel a little bit odd that she kind of, like, she tips the hand immediately. Like they come in to take the military comes in to take the ultimate away from the metropolis to police department. Um, and then she's there too. And basically just tips off like, Oh yeah, I'm here as well, which seems a little bit of an odd choice for someone who's, you know, a government conspiracy operative. Well, for me, my question with that scene is, you know, they're in danger. Why are they being arrested? I understand like they took down a building. Yeah. It's pretty bad. People have done worse. Superman has done worse they multiple do all times. The, all the time. Uh, they should be going into protection. I thought when they were getting arrested, they were being arrested by Waller's people until she showed up. Oh, okay. And then I'm like, why is this third party police department here? Like, Waller, you're you own them, probably. Yeah, I mean you have like, you could have just taken them from that. Yeah. But we needed the interaction between her and Batman. Which I mean that the whole exchange there is amazing. So the the ultimate basically agree to go with Max and they're like, okay, you know, we'll we'll go with you. We're gonna go to our desk, but like we trust you, fine, we'll go. Um, but Long Shadow wants to stay with the League and the League is gonna protect him. And so Waller steps to try and take him, you know, and she has all of her soldiers like draw guns and point them at Long Shadow and the League. And so it's Batman is standing between her and Long Shadow, and then Wonder Woman's next to Long Shadow. Superman and Aquaman just like step forward to block him, and Batman says, you know, mine are bigger. 
just this great this great moment of him because he always has to get the 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 word he always has to get the one up on someone mm-hmm. and basically waller grows it's like okay fine but just you know we're keeping our eyes on you rich boy and the look on his face like fuck wh- what like, you don't get to do that how 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 does she know and I, I did read this up i guess i think we eventually figure out later on that hugo strange is part of cadmus yes that's probably how she found out but also waller could probably just figure it out on her own Honestly, most people could probably figure it out on their own if they weren't stupid. If they thought about it. Yeah. If they thought about it for five seconds. But just, it's so rare when someone can get the better of Batman. Well, you also see him, like, smile when he says minor bigger. Yeah. Like, he's and, being like, arrogant. He knows he won. Yeah. And there's nothing that can top this moment. Except. Except. <laughs> like, you know, if I cannot think of a better way to establish how powerful and competent and how much of a threat waller is than just those two words Mm -hmm. because it again if no one ever gets the best of batman i mean we saw him take down the entire injustice gang on his own while strapped like unable to move his body he just took the whole group down with nothing but his own words like he's the guy who always has the ace up his sleeve and he just got bested by someone who was only just now appeared in this entire universe mm-hmm. and it it is it, i remember this moment 20 years on and those words 20 years on without having revisited this episode i i like to imagine batman going going back to gotham and just frantically like trying to think of a comeback he could have said because you know when you have those <laughs> moments like after you have a conversation you get in the showers like oh i should have said this damn it i had it i'm just yeah. like go back to your booster seat no, I can't. No, <laughs> no she's, not, she's not that short. It's like, uh, it just like scribbles like all over. Alfred comes in and there's like papers all across the floor of scratched out ideas. It's like, I need to, I need to get something back next time I see her. He's going to have it stashed away in his brain, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to find excuses to interact with her just to try and get the one up again. Mm-hmm. It, 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 like, you think you're so tough. Um, uh <laughs> i'm a bat yeah you're you're like a like a you're like a squirrel <laughs> wait i just realized the best part of all of this the, the best thing that happens off screen is that after waller has that moment of taking down batman in the most like subtle way possible he has to go get back on the whirly bat and fly out <laughs> <laughs> he's not getting to the Batmobile. He's not getting into the, the Batwing or onto the Bat motorcycle. He's getting onto his silliest looking vehicle possible. <laughs> oh, and Waller probably put a ticket on it for like being parked <laughs> in the wrong spot. No whirly bat parking. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, th- this, this is such a great episode. I think the, the ultimate for being introduced here. And this is basically it. We get one other pseudo appearance of them down the line, but otherwise, like this is essentially it for the Ultimen. Mm-hmm. I think they actually have quite a bit of an impact for being here so very briefly. Yeah. Well, and also the 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 very last moment, the button at the end of it is uh, Wonder Woman brings Long Shadow mm-hmm. to the Watchtower, and you get to see the awe of like yeah. You know, someone new coming in to see all of this. Because the last time we had this moment was with Green Arrow and mm-hmm. Initiation, where he was much more jaded coming in. Right, yeah. 
But now you get to see, like, this is what it means for someone who wants to be here. Yeah. He's made it, and we never see him again. Because he dies. Yeah. it It's a pretty... It, it, I found that, that moment actually pretty emotionally affecting of him. Just his story in general. He comes off as so earnest and so sincere. And I think the fact that Wonder Woman, like, takes a liking to him and it sort of wants to help bring him under her wing and, and help him be a better hero and help him be part of the league... I think the fact that she's the one that does that also helps set him up as being a really good person. Because that's not something Wonder Woman's going to do for anybody. Right. Yeah, especially her, of, yeah. of the trio. Yeah, I mean, Superman, you know, wants to be friends with everyone and, you know, has... Like, everyone kind of looks up Superman as their icon. So he kind of has that built-in mentor role. And the Batman, despite being the world's most famous loner, has an entire family of children that he's constantly putting in harm's way. I was hoping for a reference to that, where Bruce has some line of, like, you know, they're just over-eager over kids. Like, what what can they do? Mm-hmm. And one just looks at him just going, yeah, Bruce, what can over-eager <laughs> children do? Wait, how many Robins are you on now at this point? <laughs> This five, two, maybe three. We don't know. Yeah, but it, it's a really touching moment there at the very end when he gets to see the league. And yeah, and especially when we know that um, he's got like days to live and then he's going to die. Probably a very painful death as his body just degrades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's bleak. He, he got his dream. He did. He got to live his dream for a little bit and separated from all of his friends as he dies. So, um, but no, I, I, this is a great episode and obviously a big feeder for what's to come next season. Yes. Oh, so good. Um, I don't any any other thoughts on uh, uh one, one last quick thought yeah <clears throat> um I the reason I when I wrote this down the reason I thought this was a perfect episode minus the whirly bat mm-hmm. which just adds an extra plus for me like <laughs> eleven out of ten is this truly is an episode for adults and kids yeah it really is like you have the the super friend stuff going on in the background but then like what the what the ultimate are are like. They're, they're kind of pop stars as superheroes. Yeah. They are meant for the kids to look up to. They're younger. They're kind of teens, late teens looking. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, it is the cool thing of kids getting to see themselves as the heroes. Yeah. It's such a rare thing. It, it shouldn't be this rare, but it, it is for Justice League. No, that's a very good point. And it's why Teen Titans works so well. Yeah. If, if there was ever a parallel that should have been made, instead of having the the Teen Titans cast voice the Royal Flush Gang, they should have voiced these guys. Oh, that would have been good. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I you know love this episode. Mm-hmm. Didn't even talk about the bitch slap, but it's a beautiful moment. Aquaman, to take out Downpour, just slaps him Oh, that's right, he does. Yeah. Backhands him. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... <laughs> Aquaman has his ways, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really does. All right, well then, let's move on to uh, to Dark Heart here. Um, so with this one, the Justice League faces another Omega-level threat, a self-replicating alien AI that consumes everything in its path, uh, while the force of the entire League holds the line, the Atom must shrink down and stop the Dark Heart of the machines before they consume the whole world. Yes. So right off the top, I have to acknowledge that I have mistakenly remembered this episode for 20 years. I always thought that this was some piece of technology left over from the aliens from Secret Origins. Because there's a very similar aesthetic yes. going on, and I forgot that it's entirely unrelated to them whatsoever. Right, yeah, this is not Martian tech. Uh, yeah, the White Martians or whatever they were before that. Um, yeah, it's not that tech at all. I mean, it looks 
so much like it. Yes, just kind of blobs with colors. Yeah, just like these weird, like metallic, semi-organic, silver, black, purple blobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that it was that, but it's not. It's just some random piece of, you know, matter-consuming alien. Like the the background we get on it is that it was created by uh, a an alien race who was at war with another planet. They built this technology. They launched it at the their opponent planet and just consumed everything. And then the machines were unstoppable. They just continue to basically keep, replicate, go off to another planet, consume matter, repurpose it to its own ends, and just keep making more and more robots and just consuming every planet they go to. Yes. And they land in Nevada. Very similar to a great episode of one of our favorite shows, Futurama, where Bender gets the ability to replicate himself. Oh, and he just yeah. keeps replicating himself until the world would have collapsed if they didn't stop him. Wait, are you thinking of um, Bender's Big Score, the movie? No, 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 no. It's uh, in the last season or the second to last season. He has the ability where he can create two versions of himself, slightly smaller, to do the work for him. Oh. But those two also have that ability, so they replicate themselves. And now there's now there's seven Benders. My God. And the four, the new four, don't want to do anything. And so they just continue to replicate themselves over and over and over and over and over yeah. again. And I think they say there's something like 60-something generations of benders now. And they try and starve the benders out by getting rid of all alcohol in the world. <laughs> so it'll kill the benders. But they're so small at that point, they can uh, affect molecules. Yeah. And kind of reorganize elements to create their own alcohol. <laughs> and so all water becomes alcohol and the entire planet gets drunk. Oh, my God. I forgot that episode. It's my, such it's, a good episode. It's, it's such a great Futurama plot. I love it. Uh, yeah, so basically the... the as good here, as this episode. As good as this episode. The aliens here are basically the benders. Like, it's funny. To me, this is an episode comprised of great moments, but not a lot actually happens over the course of it. It's, it's like the League is constantly trying to fight off these, these robots until the Atom can go in and essentially give the core of the alien tech like a, a heart attack by clogging the matter arteries and then the whole thing just dies um but i will say though it has some of the most memorable moments in like all of just league and some of my favorites yes you know what you're saying you're looking at me like i'm supposed to say something everyone is here or are you talking about the moment where we see wildcat fighting yeah we, he's here we, we, like the thing is Everyone is here. Like, I mean, this is the same level as more do from last weekend. Like this Omega level threat. Um, but there's a few little things like it's a couple little things I picked up on. One is for some like we first meet the alien tech because these two climbers like skating the side of this mesa and they get to the top and Billy has been eaten by the aliens and they're about to attack the girl. And we assume she gets eaten, too. But when the military shows up to try and fight this thing, the very first thing we see is her getting into helicopter and flying off. Yeah, so she's good. She's good. I, it's just a weird moment. I was like, why are we killing one person but not the other? Why we draw, why draw the line there? I don't understand. Well, I mean, the, they have to paint the military in a slightly good light. <laughs> I suppose. That is the problem with a lot of these older shows. I suppose. So, but, I mean, the hero of our military, General Eiling. Uh, yeah. Our, our favorite boy, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> oh, J.K.? What a oh man! What a gift! An well, early JK. Yeah, and and you know, and this that's I'd say that the biggest thing that happens in this episode is a couple other critical pieces of Cadmus fall into place, right? So we meet General Eiling, who's going to be one of the members of Cadmus down the line. But the other thing is, we see the big ass space laser 
on the watchtower. Yes. Which is something that the Cadmus specifically points to as like, you have a big fucking space laser. That is a problem for us. That they compared to a small nuclear bomb. Yeah. Like if they, cause not, not Eiling, the league Martian Manhunter said, this is the power of a small nuclear bomb. Exactly. And I mean, we, we obviously know where this comes from is after the Thanagar invasion, when Batman had to like manually pilot the watchtower in to destroy like their hyperspace tunnel, whatever they went, Hey, maybe we should just put something on the watchtower that could, you know, have the same effect without having to sacrifice the entire space station itself. The battering in the sky. The big ass battering in the sky. Yeah. So they build this instead. And this is the first time we see it because they use it to carve like a massive trench around the landing site, which doesn't last very long because the things just can burrow underground and consume matter. But like that, it's a small moment here, but is a big moment down the line. And I think I think it's even been kind of like retcon to suggest that that technology was co-opted by the Joker in the Return of the Joker Batman Beyond movie. It's basically the same technology. Yeah. But yeah, space laser. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is the it is the technology of the mid 2000s onward. That's absolutely true. I mean, the big difference here is this one goes down. Right. Rather than everything goes up. This, this is like post Independence Day when everything had a big ass space laser shooting down. And then after that, it was, what's the big-ass space laser shooting up? Right. Was the Avengers the first one that did that? No. Um, who, I'm trying to think who would have been the first one. Because like after that, it's literally everything was a big boo laser. I well, mean, Avengers I, Iron was, Man 1, Avengers was when the joke started. Of yeah. Like, wow, everyone's doing this. I feel like J.J. Abrams did it a lot. Uh, but I can't remember any specific instance. Well, I mean, it's, okay. So in Star Trek 09, they have a big-ass space drill, but that's going down. Okay. And it's a big fiery like heat ray it's not a blue beam coming up um but iron man one has that moment when they activate the big ass arc reactor to kill obadiah stain and there's a big blue beam shooting up into the sky so they yep. would have been one of the first i don't know who else did it i mean obviously suicide squad did it in 2016 mm-hmm. um i don't know i can't think of any either. listeners if you remember the first iteration of the big ass blue space laser we've, shooting up we've blocked it out into the sky so much <laughs> it's inescapable um what we're talking about oh the space laser right um so we see that uh i also i i clocked for the first time this is a new design of the batwing oh it yeah it's also the first appearance in jlu uh yes wait i feel like maybe we saw it briefly last week i don't remember i don't remember but it's not the one that was in the new batman adventures and was also in the first two seasons of justice league it's an entirely different one this looks closer to the one that we see in Under the Red Hood. It might actually even be like nearly the same like animation model, 3D animation model. They just gave it a little bit of a, a little zhuzh by the mm-hmm. time they got to Under the Red Hood. A little sheen. Exactly, yeah. It's just, I just clocked it. It's like, oh, that's not the one we're, we're used to seeing. But I think the be- – I have to say, I think the best moment in this entire episode, though, is when the, the little robot tigers jump up onto the Batwing and start taking it apart. So Batman opens up the canopy – takes out two of them with batarangs while still flying the Batwing. And then when one of them is about to attack him in the cockpit, he jettisons himself. He uses the ejector seat. The little tiger thing shoots at the seat, so then the parachute explodes, and he's just free-falling. He's like, all points to Justice League. I could use some air assistance because I can't fly at all. At all. <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think that's definitely the most memorable moment. For me, I think the best quote is a tie between that and then when we first meet Ray, the mm-hmm. Atom, and he's fighting some mysterious, yeah, something microscopic, microscopic worm, organism, like robot. Uh, and 
he he defeats it. He's laying on the ground. He says, I'm going to stay here for a while, Katie, because I'm old and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I've never related to a superhero more than yeah. in that moment. <laughs> I really like the Adam. Me too. He He's the perfect. I mean, he he's the perfect blend of smart, cocky and like uh, smart. Smart, cocky, and smart. Oh, I said smart first. Smart, <laughs> cocky, and like, I didn't realize this was the first word I said. I'm in it. Um, but he really is that perfect combination of smart, cocky, and smart. Yeah. So, he uh, is, he's what I want a live action Reed Richards to be. Oh, is, okay. Is that's, this, yeah. Is this character. Right. Well, because, you know, even most of the league, like some of them refer to him as the Adam, but like Wonder Woman just keeps referring to him um, as Professor Palmer. Yeah. Like mo that's how. And everyone else says Ray. Almost yeah. no one calls him the Adam. Exactly. It, it, he's almost, I mean, he he's kind of like a superhero by accident in some ways almost. Like he invented this technology and it allows him to do things that they can't. So the superhero thing becomes a part of it. But otherwise he's just kind of a scientist. Yeah, he's a professor. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you're talking about him having like the perfect level of like arrogance did you catch who voices him i did not so it's john c mcginley aka dr cox himself from that's incredible Scrubs. Uh, of course it is perfect voice cast choice for the adam yes i guess that that is where like the snarkiness comes from it's mm -hmm. just it's just dr cox in general yeah it, he, it's it's not hitting quite dr cox level of like over the top a little bit more subdued but the energy is still there yeah the vibe is still there it's it's more of like how are you so it's not as much how are you so stupid and more of like oh wait, you guys don't know this it's like oh well that's well, yeah i'm sorry but... i thought you guys did your research <laughs> i thought you knew what we were talking about but i understand why i'm here now the justice league <laughs> yeah i thought you knew um but yeah other than that it's just it's the league like every member of the league fighting so you get batman pulling out these like big batarangs to try and hack at the robots you get um like you get a little bit of a moment for vigilante riding on his motorcycle, shooting at the robots. He jumps in the back of Shining Knight's oh, Pegasus. Uh, his steed, Victory. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Would you like to know some more about Shining Knight? <laughs> I would love to know more about Shining Knight. So I I like adding this new segment of of doing a quick background on any character, and mm -hmm. I couldn't. I feel like we. Most people know enough about the Atom where I feel like yeah. it's not as exciting as some of the other heroes. He's got a white dwarf star projector that allows him to shrink matter. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we're never going to get a chance to talk about Shiny Knight. He doesn't never talk again. ever in, yeah. this in, the, in this series. He's just there. <laughs> and I want to talk about him. I right. personally just wanted to learn about him. Okay. Well, I can understand why. Like, there's definitely some Arthurian things going on there. And great I, things. I so. didn't realize how Arthurian it was. Oh, really? He oh, is God. Arthurian Captain America. Really? It, that is his backstory. Sir Justin, the newest member of the Knights of the Round Table in King Arthur's court, was one of the many knights who had witnessed the death of Queen Guinevere's cousin, Sir Fallon. I didn't know any of this. Oh, yeah. uh, Fallon revealed to be... Uh, Fallon revealed his attacker was the ogre Blunderbore, in his last breath, then he vowed to take avenge, take revenge for Fallon's death and search for Blunderbore. On his way, he met and freed the wizard Merlin, who'd been trapped by a witch. And thanks to Merlin, uh, Justin's old armor and sword had been transformed in a golden shining armor that was invincible and unbreakable. Uh, he also gave him his steed, Victory. Mm. So it was a gift from Merlin. Uh, when he met Blunderbore... It was atop an icy mountain in the north, and the two battled, and Justin eventually won and killed Blunderbore, 
but before his death, he caused an avalanche that buried Justin and his winged horse, Victory. Neither of them died, but instead were frozen in suspended animation. Oh my God. And in the year 1941, Justice and Victory were discovered and released from suspended animation as a, by a museum curator. Realizing he now must live in the modern world, he dedicated his life to fighting crime with his skills as a knight and soon took the civilian identity alias of Justin Arthur. Okay. So it's literally just Captain America. Just Captain America. Now, let me get this straight. So he he's from Arthurian times. Yes. He was... Was he part of Arthur's court? Yes, he was the, I assume, probably the last member added to okay. the table. And his name is Justin? Sir Justine. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure, it's, I'm like, sure it's not pronounced Sir Justin, but it is spelt Sir Justin. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I really don't think there were many Justins running around in the time of King Arthur. You don't think so? No. That name is nowhere near pompous or wordy enough to have been an Arthurian name. It, it honestly doesn't even feel like a 40s name. No. It's like a modern name. Yeah. Yeah. But he's been around since the 40s. My God. Uh, and so him, Cribs and Adventure, and Vigilante were all kind of a trio that worked together, and they created something called the Seven Soldiers of Victory. There was three of them, though. I assume there were four more. Okay. <laughs> they were kind of um, a, like, collection of people misplaced from their timeline oh okay mm-hmm. that makes sense i can oh yeah i can see like a, a jonah hex or a bat lash or one of those yeah i mean that's and... what vigilante is yeah basically it's, it's just the same thing as all those but after learning about this now all i want is i want a moment between him and etrigan oh yeah because etrigan was other. also yeah well he was also a part of the round table right yeah yeah well so they would have known each other them. yeah he betrayed them yeah betrayed the round table yeah, they would have been buds. Yeah, they should know each other. Yeah, maybe there's some bla- maybe there's some bad blood because like he did betray them. Maybe Justin was already part of the court when he betrayed them. It's like I like hey Manhunter Martian, if I can make one quick request, like there's, it's like we just can't be on a mission together. Goes back centuries. Yeah, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> there's some bad Jason blood. There's there. Alice, there you go. Yeah, that to be done. Uh, yeah, I think for me, like overall, this is just like, it's just a big action episode. It's one of the episodes we get to see like moments of the entire league working together and fighting, you know, it's cameo appearances galore sort of thing. Do you have the list? I mean, I can, I I do have it up on the, the page here. All right. So, all right. Uh, so our uncredited appearances, Mm -hmm. Aquaman, Adam Smasher, Aztec, Black Canary, Blue Devil, Booster Gold, Captain Adam, Commander Steel, Crimson Avenger, Crimson Fox, Dr. Fate, Dr. Light, Dr. Midnight, Elongated Man, Fire, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Gypsy, Hawk, Hourman, Huntress, Ice, Nemesis, Obsidian, Red Tornado, Rocket Red, Shining Knight, and his sting, Steed, Winged Victory, Stargirl, Starman, Steel, Stripe, Supergirl, The Ray, Vibe, Vigilante, Vixen, Wildcat, plus the voiced characters of Batman, Superman, John Jones, The Atom, and Wonder Woman. So literally everyone but Flash. Yes. He doesn't mm-hmm. even have an uncredited appearance here. That's pretty bad. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's almost the entire league. And this is technically, as we lead into the next episode, our first introduction to Vixen. Uh, oh, I feel like she has, I don't think we've seen her yet. I feel like we've seen her at least maybe in initiation. Let me go to keep these open. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Is she in initiation? We do see her as a cameo initiation, but otherwise you are correct. She has a cameo appearance here in 
dark heart and then she will have uh, more significant roles to play in the episodes to come including our next episode yes so you mentioned last week booster gold's episode is a bottle episode i yeah. would argue this is a better bottle episode right yeah i guess that's a bottle episode around a character not necessarily a location be right this is a bottle episode at a very specific location yes minus the one trip to boston for right dr palmer and the the brief sequence where we see jean up in the watchtower using the space laser right big ass space laser mm-hmm which has a long cooldown. Yeah. It's an hour to get that power back up. Ooh, do you think they call it Basil? What? B-A-S-L, the big-ass space laser. We we can refer to it as that now. If I had one, that's what I would call it. Call it Basil? Yes. <laughs> what's, it, what's his full title in, Mal, in Great Mouse Detective? Well, Basil of Baker Street. Baker Street, that's the one. Yes. I would have the satellite and I would call it Baker Street. I was I was getting my my British streets mixed up and I, I could only hear the rest of Sweeney Todd. Okay. <laughs> also easy enough to get confused with Bleecker Street, which is Doctor Strange. Right. Yes. Yeah. But I don't to me, yeah, this is just like it's just a fun it's just a fun romp. Yeah, I mean it's I had fun because I this is another episode that was just on all the time in syndication because mm-hmm. it's a pretty easy one. It has everyone. It's a, it's yeah. a crowd favorite. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember really like this one as a kid. I remember being memorable because it was like, oh, my God, it's all the league. Like, yeah. Everyone's there. And so this time when I was watching it, I was trying to focus more on the background mm-hmm. and just see like what are like who do we see and how are they like acting? Yeah. Uh, and it was very funny because most of the time it was probably like a 12 frame cycle of like here's fire shooting fire <laughs> and she's just her her character is not moving it is a clear like still frame with just the fire animation yeah and then there's a wildcat that popped up and i was so proud of my boy just taking out bots left and right yep every time with nothing but his fists yep his fists and his grit i was gonna say like well he, he had his claws in this for in this right. version which is for the best because i was thinking like that really hurt your knuckles after a while, just punching these robots over and over again. Like, I understand they're wrapped up. Yeah. But, like, wraps only help a little bit. Well, what I love about Wildcat is that he has gloves on, and then the wraps are on a top of the gloves. Yeah, because that's how boxers fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Famously, boxers put the gloves on and then just have an amorphous blob of wraps around the outside. Yeah. <laughs> In case we doubted that he was a boxer at any point. Right. Good old Wildcat. Well, it's probably um, honestly, it's probably because they started with the gloves, and in animation, it just it didn't look good. Yeah, because it's just uh, an amorphous shape. Because it's kind of the same color as a suit. Yeah, that's true. And so the the wraps really make it pop. Yeah, you gotta pop those fists. Mm-hmm. Pop, 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 pop. Rapid fire. <laughs> I do love Wildcat. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on Dark Heart here? Um. I think we covered the, the the major bases. I'm just more, I'm excited for more J.K. Simmons. Oh, I, know, I mean, every time. He's every time. Legend. Legendary J.K. Simmons. He's incredible. Yeah, he can do everything. He's a yellow M&M. All right, so then let's move on to uh, our third and final episode this week, Wake the Dead. Uh, so in this one, a bunch of nerds accidentally revive Solomon Grundy, who sacrificed himself to save the League. Uh, but he's been brought back without his soul or his mind, and it's just a ambling shell of pure rage. Uh, more powerful than ever, the combined powers of the biggest hitters in the league aren't enough to stop him, so it's up to a lost, jaded hot girl to defeat her former friend. Is he a shell or a shell? He's a little bit of both. He's, okay. uh, he's, he's, a, he's a shell of his former self, but he's a shell for chaos magic. Got it. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. God, we can clarify that. Yes. 
<laughs> but yeah, like I, I was super excited to get to this one. I remember this for me being one of the most emotionally impactful episodes. And I, I still felt that way watching it again here. Cause I mean, emotionally, like, there's a lot going on here. I mean, wake the dead is, you know, the literal word to describe what happens to Solomon Grundy, but in a lot of ways it's describing what's happening to Shaira, who's been separated from everyone she knows her her home planet all of her friends other league members just hiding out at dr fate's tower you know spending her time uh, playing chess with aquaman and amazo and she has to be brought back out into the world to basically in her mind betray yet another friend by having to put him down even though we eventually realize like there's no part of grundy left in there it's literally just his body um, just mindlessly rampaging around with just lost and confused. And it, I, I think for me, just like the themes here run so deep and there's so much heart behind it that I, I really love this episode. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's animated Lassie is how I would define uh, old it. Yeller. So yes, they even call old out Yeller. old Yeller. Shai Irvin says the, to John Stewart, like your favorite movies, old Yeller, you know, what has to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I forgot that they actually killed him. For some reason in my head, he also went back to the Tower of Fate. No. Um, but no, they just, they, they fucking blew his brains out. Yeah, and it, like it's, it's particularly heartbreaking because, you know, as I mentioned, they're throwing everything at him trying to stop him. So, like, he's way more powerful than he was before. So, like, he's just wiping the floor with Superman GL's throwing a bunch of stuff in there. Vixen's there trying every power she has to take him down. Fate's throwing stuff at him. Even the Amazo shows up, who is, I mean, a god now at this point. And even he realizes that Grundy is absorbing his powers rather than it destroying him. And he's like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Bye. And just disappears. I I think that's the biggest bro move I've ever seen. Like, oh, should I just make him even stronger? Peace. My bad. I'm out. You guys got it, right? I'm only going to make things worse. (laughs) Sorry, I think my fridge is closed. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, this is actually the the last appearance we get of Amazo. But I really like how even they show him here. Because last we saw him, he was trying to kill Lex Luthor just a couple episodes ago. And here he is much more human. They, They even do, I think, less processing on Robert Picardo's voice. So he sounds more just like a normal person here and he's curious and thoughtful and has like a bit of a sense of humor even if it's almost kind of accidental a little bit but in in some ways he almost feels more human than aquaman who is just this dick yeah entire episode in this version of aquaman he he is just like he's only focused on war and fighting yeah that's all he can think about even in his free time he's practicing beating people at chess because it's its own version of war I mean, what is interesting here, though, is that him being at Dr. Fate's tower shows a very different side of him we're used to seeing. I mean, obviously, he's been appearing a little bit with the League to help out, but Aquaman has pretty much always been primarily concerned with just the oceans, and he sort of begrudgingly has to get involved with the League. And it's kind of implied in one of these episodes, maybe it's this one, um, or I think it's the Ultimate, it's kind of implied that he might have directly replace Shaira because they're at like the, the founder's table up at the, the watchtower and he's in one of the chairs and they even say like Aquaman, they mentioned his name as like a potential replacement earlier on. So, but even then he's always been kind of at a distance and here he, this is like the most 
normal human interaction he's having. I mean, to your point, it's him being a dick while playing chess. But, like, you feel like he is now friends with Dr. Fate, that he has this sort of odd friendship with Amazo. And even when he's getting in Shaira's face, he's angry because he has always respected her as being, as he puts it, one of the greatest warriors he's ever met in his entire life. And that's a very high bar coming from Aquaman. Like, that is pretty much the highest comment he can give someone. And he's mad that someone of her potential is just sitting there wallowing in sorrow and deliberately losing at chess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly what I wrote, too. Yeah, it's like, he's he's not being a dick for dick's sake. He's yeah. being a dick because he's trying to, like, make her angry and get her back to her old self. Yeah, he's trying to get a rise out of her. And he, he even makes an interesting comment that he says that, you know, you claim that you used to frequently beat Batman at chess. And... For anyone else, that would feel like a like it's uh, a stretch, like just writing something in there to try and make Shaira seem like really intelligent. I believe that from her because she is very low key, powerful and competent and skilled and a warrior. Like, I mean, uh, she's also the person who flies around and like screams and smashes things. But there's a lot more to her than we necessarily got to see in Justice League. And this is kind of the beginning of that starting to emerge. I I would like to think here's here's my headcanon for this universe. Mm-hmm. Bruce never learned how to play chess. <laughs> he was so focused on everything else, Batman, because nothing about chess is helpful for the Batman persona. I mean, it, it's, it's it's a strategy a, game, right? It's, you have to be thinking so many steps ahead of your opponent. And that's classic Batman. Yes, but I think he just didn't learn, and so. <laughs> Because he is Batman, everyone thinks that he's just really good. So no one ever wanted to challenge him. Yeah. Except for Shaira. <laughs> and then they found out that she beat him once. And like, oh, my God, you beat Batman? Batman? And he just won't challenge anyone else. Because he's like, oh, wait, I'm really bad at this. And he never has to play again. Yeah. Right? So like, oh, like, he, I don't think he wants to play anymore. He got beat by Shaira. Yeah. It's like, Shaira must be incredible at this. But actually, she's just also really bad at chess. <laughs> and Aquaman doesn't understand that like, any of this has happened. The only person in this entire universe is good at chess is Amazo. And that's just because he's seen and absorbed all knowledge in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that idea. <laughs> it fits. It really fits. Uh, but also, I, it's worth acknowledging that Solomon Grundy is brought back because, like, a bunch of fucking nerds were getting bullied. Yeah. A- everything about that little sequence, I hate. Yeah. It it also feels a little close to home for my friend group growing up. I, okay, I have to ask. Did you ever actually get a wedgie or a swirly? I got a wedgie. Okay. Yes. Never got a swirly. I, look, maybe I just, because I never experienced it directly, those feel like things that don't actually happen. Yeah, not, and I, yeah, definitely not anymore. I feel like now it's a lot more cyberbullying than anything. Yeah, we, we go for the psychological attacks instead. Yeah. You know, passive-aggressive insults, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like adults. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I feel like that is, again, such a, a cliche of like, oh, and I think that's what I hated about that sequence. I mean, I get it. It has to be shorthand. They have like a minute at the beginning to establish how Grundy got back. So it's these bunch of fucking nerds who don't know how to use a spell book who accidentally. They bought it online. They bought it online. Yeah. They, like, they accidentally break like the circle of salt or whatever. And the whole thing goes to shit. But just those characters are played as such cliched versions of nerds and they're suffering cliche torments of nerdy characters and their walls are covered in all of like the shorthands for nerdy things. Like 
you know, they have a Hellboy statue and there's a Star Trek poster and a Spider-Man poster. It's all off-brand. Yeah, all, all off-brand. It's, it's off a not-Spider-Man poster. It's a not-Spider-Man poster. It's a not-Hellboy toy. Exactly. It's the Star Trek emblem, but, like, upside down. Like, it, it, it all just felt like low shots. I have another headcanon what? for this. Oh, my God. Looking at the fake Star Trek. We already have fake Star Wars in this universe via Batman Beyond. Yes. I like to think one of these kids was the creator of the fake Star Wars. I, well, uh, oh, like he grows up to be the guy that we meet in that episode. Yeah. I could absolutely believe that to be true. Mm -hmm. I, I respect your One of them is choice. that. Another one is the guy that grows up to make the video game. Oh, yep. yep. Uh, and then the third one just got wedged to death. Uh oh, <laughs> two of the three eventually just became Batman Beyond villains. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I really hated that whole sequence, but it's, it's their excuse for bringing back Grundy and have it go uh, awry. Um, and then that's all in the, the prologue. And then worth acknowledging that in the title sequence here, two big changes. So one is they have stopped showing preview clips of the episode. And now they're just showing just general clips across Justice League Unlimited and the little interstitials. And they brought Shaira back into this and she's without her helmet and just in her normal Shaira persona. But they have brought her back in the title sequence to indicate that she is now back and going to be a big part of the things going forward mm -hmm. which i'm super excited about because like i said i think in justice league hot girl is oftentimes very underutilized and i think her stories throughout the rest of justice limited are some of the best they have absolutely mm. and especially bringing her back in the same episode we are introduced to vixen yes is genius writing it, it really is and, and that's like a whole there, that's the thing there's so many different things going on here but yeah that there's almost I wouldn't even call it a B plot per se, but like an element of this story is that we get to see that Jon Stewart is now in a relationship with Vixen. Like he's at her fashion show and they leave because they have to go help with the fight. Um, you know, she's getting ready to change her next outfit and she ends up changing into her costume because she assumed that it was league business. And she's like, oh, aren't you going to change? She's like, no, it takes me a little bit less time. And he just like, you know, changes his clothes into his Green Lantern uniform. But it's the same amount of it's time, Chris. Yeah. She's not any slower. You know, it, it's the yeah. it's the the gender joke of like, oh, women take forever to get ready. It's like, well, one, you have a ring that can just do it for you. You're yeah. technically always naked. Yes, that's true. And just the ring is just projecting outfits on you. Yeah. As you look like an early 2000s wannabe rapper. Although I have to say, I think that's the best uh, John Stewart look. I think the bald head goatee looks a lot better than the uh, the military buzz cap from Justice League. No, I just mean like the outfit he was oh, wearing. Oh, the, the horrible. Yeah, like it's, the it's the sunglasses inside with the bald head goatee, the gold chain, black shirt, and then the giant overcoat. Yeah, 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 you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, it, it's very like music producer 2001. Yeah, I feel like he didn't know how to dress for that. Because th think about who Jon Stewart is. So he is like he grew up a big old nerd, as we saw in... Um, uh, the one where they all become kids kid stuff kid stuff right you know the glasses he loves comic books he grew up that he i think probably was a marine first and then became an architect and then at some point he became a green lantern at no point through any of those phases uh, do i think he's ever hanging out in these like upper echelons of earth-based social circles with like ridiculously famous runway models and stuff like that well i from personal experience with my runway career um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, in, in my school, and I think we had a pretty unique situation, the architecture school was connected to the art school. Okay. And so in my 
in my headcanon for Jon Stewart is like he only knows these people through art school. And so he thinks everyone like in the fashion world is just also a bunch of weird nerds. Oh, okay. And he just doesn't want to associate with that kind with that kind of people. So he's just doing whatever he can to try and stand out. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I was thinking more he was doing anything he had to try and blend in with a social circle he knew nothing about. Well, I, I think it is. I think it is also that is yeah. like he in college just didn't want to associate with that group of people. OK, because yeah, yeah. the architects in my school always always thought themselves better than the other art schools, God. which I mean, they're not wrong. They're, they're the cool kids of the art school. They thought they were <laughs> that. Look, I get it. And then they asked me to design a poster for them. And I'm like, oh, look at you, you assholes. <laughs> You don't know anything. I understand where they're coming from because the mechanical engineers, we consider ourselves the cool kids of the engineering school. And we're, <laughs> we're always making fun of the civil engineers. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. You lazy civil engineers. Yeah. I mean, at least we're not interior design. That was <laughs> that was the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. I, I guess it probably would have been for us electrical. It would have been the bottom. Like, yeah. Okay. What, what, are you, what are you gonna do with that? Yeah. It was wire toaster. Architecture was definitely like they thought they were top dog. And they also brought in all the money. Yeah. Uh, then I would say industrial design, graphic design, photography, painting, mm -hmm. and painting and arts, and then a long drop, and then interior. Look, everyone has to have someone to punch down to. Like, even us as, like, DC Comics nerds are often punching down to, like, Dungeons & Dragons nerds. Yes. Which I have no room to do that because most of my good friends, you included, are Dungeons & Dragons I people. have written my own campaign. <laughs> I, I love Dungeons & Dragons people. Like, everyone has something to punch down to. It's kind of like how all of America punches down to Alabama except for Alabama who punches down to Florida and Florida has no one they can possibly punch down to. Well, they just punch themselves. Because <laughs> I think that's the thing is, like, <laughs> I, I think we are the nerds that, like, we punch forward and it's, it's the portal and it just punches us in the back from behind. <laughs> You could not have found a nerdier way to describe that. <laughs> Congratulations, Cameron. Thank you. Very proud of you just now. <laughs> but yeah, like the 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 dynamic between GL and Vixen, it's it's interesting and it's fun. Like they have like they have chemistry, right? And like they even kind of work well together as they're trying to take on Grundy. But as soon as Shaira shows up, all of that just becomes a a, a mess, mm -hmm. right? Because so Grundy hits Superman like way off and he breaks through one of the, the, the pylons of a bridge. So the bridge starts to collapse and Aquaman shows up in just like the most badass motherfucker intro possible, just standing perfectly still atop of a giant squid as it rises from the ocean depths and wraps his tentacles around the bridge to hold it in place. Like you cool, man. So my thought with You're that, cool. we know Dr. Fate can teleport people. Yeah. He could have just teleported them right, right into the heat of battle. Doesn't matter. Aquaman must have asked. <laughs> I don't think Aquaman asked. I think Dr. Fate's like, want me to get you there? He's like, no. Yeah. Well, no, he he knows where to portal Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> Just to some trench somewhere and he'll grab himself a nice fish and get to the action. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, like, Shaira rescues a mom and her kid from falling off the bridge and she lands and she lands right next to John. He's like, Shaira? Like, and he's just shocked. And in one of many amazing lines in this episode, her first thing she says to him is, I hate the beard. It's good. It's incredible. <laughs> like, well, because you bring up their chemistry. Vixen and John's chemistry is so different from Shire yeah. and John. And I think that is important. If, like you see, they're still both like very compatible, but they're such different couples. Yeah. Well, and you can see what you, I think what this episode does really well is indicating how much John 
is still in love with Shaira, or at least if he hasn't been able to fully let go of that because it all just ended so abruptly, right? So he's moved on, he's dating someone new, but like he goes out of his way to protect her. He even offers like, I'll take the mace, I'll go kill Grundy myself. And then at the very end, when she's getting harassed by a bunch of people who are like, hey, remember when you participated in the Thanagarian invasion that nearly killed everyone on the planet? Any thoughts on that? He jumps in, like, starts defending her. And what I think is so interesting is whenever he does that, Vixen is always in frame in the background watching it happen. And even though it's animation, they do such a good job drawing her face in a way you can tell exactly what she's thinking. It's just like, I don't know how to respond to this. My boyfriend is, like going out of his way to almost make himself look like a fool to be protective of his ex. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on there. I mean, they're, they're going to be coworkers. They're good. That's my, true. Yeah. My, my boyfriend's ex is going to be my coworker now. Yeah, exactly. We have to see each other daily in those weird hallway showers. <laughs> All the time. And, and also worth acknowledging here that the, the amazing Gina Torres voices Vixen who, um, for those of you who are not entirely sure who that is, uh, she played, and I can't believe I'm blanking the character's name, but Wash. she was, no, Wash was the guy who died. He was the pilot. Oh, that's Alan Tudyk was Wash? Yeah, Alan Tudyk was Wash. Oh, dang she, it. Yeah. I was, I, I was really proud of myself. I thought I remember the yeah, right name. But she was in Firefly. Uh, she had a, uh, like a prominent role in Suits for many years. She voiced Superwoman in the, the Christ of Two Earth movies we just reviewed mm-hmm. recently. And in the straight to, see, uh, straight to streaming Lego movies. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So she she's very prolific actor. She's like one of those you, you recognize her face, you recognize her voice. But I I think she's amazing. I absolutely love her. She's so good as Vixen. Um but it just it it adds that that relationship drama adds so much to this here. And normally I I, I get a little bit annoyed when especially cartoons like this or shows like this really emphasize these romantic storylines. I think this me being just like, I'm fucking sick of everything requiring a hetero storyline. And I also kind of get tired of love triangles. For me, this one, there's so much emotional stake attached to it. And I think it's just such an interesting dynamic. And you genuinely like all three of them so much that there is no good resolution to this, no matter what happens. Oh, but I mean, also let's not just, we've talked about like Vix in the context of her being a relationship. We have not talked about Vixen in the context of her being a fucking badass and one of the coolest Justice League members is one of the coolest power sets. She is so cool. I, I remember a couple years ago, there were like murmurs that Vixen was going to get her own show on CW. Mm-hmm. And instead, they just gave her a couple uh, animated episodes, which were all great. Yeah, I think I watched some of them. They were good. Yeah, it was, it was the same animation team that was on Young Justice. So it was oh, that okay, same yeah. Style. Oh, yeah, they're really good. She, I, I, she is just so cool and i th- i think she's kind of a in some ways kind of a rare character in in this universe in particular is that obviously she's sexualized because every female character in this universe is it's a bruce tim drawing it's a bruce tim drawing but i will say this for me when i think of vixen like there obviously she's also like a runway model too but she is an incredibly competent badass superhero at the same time like i think of her like touching the, the amulet on her necklace and becoming like the powers of an elephant and just headbutting Solomon Grundy through a wall. Yeah. That's what I think of. Something I, that like Wonder Woman wasn't able to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, she's, she is depending on what animal she chooses. She, her power set is really high up there. I mean, we see in this that she uses a cheetah to run super fast, an elephant to be super strong. She uses, um, I think it's an iguana to heal herself when her arm gets broken. 
Like, my God, she's so fucking cool. <laughs> yes. Would you like to know more about Vixen's backstory? Absolutely. <laughs> Since this is now what I do here. Yep. Uh, so I was excited when I learned this. Her, her backstory is connected to African mythology. Uh-huh. Great. Of course, I love anything myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her powers come from the spider god Anansi. Hey, we know Anansi. We know Anansi. Yeah. Uh, in ancient Ghana, a warrior known as Tatu asked Anansi to create a totem that granted the wearer all the powers of the animal kingdom uh, under the kind of clause that they can only be used for good mm-hmm. or to, like, for, to help the innocent. Uh, Tantu utilized this to protect Africa, becoming one of their greatest heroes. The totem had been passed down generation to generation until it reached the McCabe family. Mari McCabe, known as Vixen. Oh. Uh, she grew up in a village, and she grew up in a small village connected to the nation of Zambezi, where we last heard about from the origins of Buana Beast. <gasps> oh my God! Yes, their powers are kind of connected, which is yeah. just so great. Uh, uh, when she's passed on the totem after her mother was killed by poachers, uh, Mari was raised by her father. She moved to America to become a model and took a trip back to Africa to get the Tantu totem that was passed down to her. Her uncle, uh, General Moxie, wanted the power for himself, uh, and so he stole it from them, from the family, and tried to use it, but since he didn't use it for to protect the innocent, he kind of turned into this crazy beast, oh God. and she ended up having to kill her uncle in order to get the totem back. Uh, but to your point, she's so powerful, she's scared of her own power. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she, like, kills people on accident because she doesn't know how to like fully control it i mean that makes sense yeah uh and so she had a stent i was i was kind of reading a little bit into this she had a stent where she was working with the suicide squad just because like she just needed a place to train and practice yeah and so basically was just adopted by amanda waller to just be a a a murderer for hire for a little bit oh my god i want to see that movie yeah uh but yeah as 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 currently she's in full control of her power but it's literally the entire animal kingdom. Yeah. And she also has a stent with Animal Man because everyone's connected to him in some way now. Everyone, everyone and I need be. to know something about him. <laughs> I mean, he never appears in this universe. So. No. Yeah. So there's never going to be a chance for you to talk about him on air camera. I'm so sorry. That's okay. If you try, I'll shut you down. He's also not in Titan. So when we do Titan talk, we can't talk about him there. He's, <laughs> not, not, in ju- he's not in Young Justice either. <sighs> I mean, unless we do Batman Brave and the Bold. Isn't Which I'm that? not. No, I think it's just Bona Beast. Well, then never mind. We're never going to cover him. He's got to be in something. Maybe. I don't know. But where? He's not in The Bat. He's not in not in the Green Lantern show. I doubt he was ever in Super Friends. Yeah. Well, sorry, Animal Man. You're out. Oh, man. I guess I'm just never going to learn about you. I'll never learn about it. Yeah. But no, I, I love they brought in Vixen and that she's going to continue to have like a real prominent role uh, going forward. Um, I mean, guys, we kind of covered a lot of it. Like the, the reason that Shayer is able to kill Grundy is that uh, her mace is made of nth metal, which as Fate points out is was specifically designed by the Thanagarians to combat and defeat magic. Because as we learned in the Terror Beyond, the episode where Grundy sacrificed himself, that, like, the Thanagarians used to worship ancient evil gods, and they eventually, like, rebelled against them and fought them off, primarily using nth metal. So in that episode, too, you know, Hot Girl's mace was able to have a negative effect on Magic to the point where fate won't even let it in the tower. He has to keep it in a pocket dimension unless it disrupts the magic that flows through his tower. Um, but it's just it it's so thematically resonant that it has to be the like hot girl has to be sure you are the one that has to do it. And and that moment when she has to go down and actually kill him, it's so heartbreaking because you can see 
the pain in Grundy's eyes because she's hit him enough now that he is weak. Like he, he, she literally knocked him through the street down into the sewers. And I, I don't know if at that point he's necessarily dying, but he's he's nearly out. But the only way to stop it is she has to actually has to kill him, which of course happens off screen. Um, but just that that moment when she goes down there to do it, when she comes back up and just says it's done, it's just like you you know what she had to do and how hard that was for her to do it, and it's it's just really touching. Yeah, it it was hard to watch. Yeah, and like I said, I was coming in with the the fake memory that he was back at Tower of Fate with them. Right. Yeah. And no. then like at the end, I'm like, oh no, she did it. Yeah. Like she killed him. Yeah, she she watched her friend die once and then had to kill him again. Even if it's not him, it's you know it's still his face and his eyes looking up at her. And it's, yeah, technically uh, his third death. It's true. Yeah, he dies a lot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his thing. He's a zombie. As, as Vixen points out, isn't that the thing about zombies is that they have to be dead? Yeah. And I mentioned this before, but there are a lot of really really good lines in this. So worth acknowledging, this was written by Dwayne McDuffie, of course, one of the best writers in the entire DCAU. But so many lines, like even when. Aquaman is beat like beats Hawk um Shire at chess and he's super mad. He's like, You disgust me, and she's like, join the club. Like just she is so defeated. Um, I also love when Fate shows up and says, you know, Grundy's grave is empty. Uh Aquaman's response is point me in the direction of those who did it and dig more graves. Fuck that's good. <laughs> he's just oh, he's so cool. He's a yeah. dick, but my god, is he cool? <laughs> did you watch uh this week's ted lasso i did oh, it's so but it, it reminded me a lot of um what this face oh roy kent roy yeah. it's like bro you can't beat up a child why not yeah it's not like i mean it was weird that it was a christmas episode in august i never wanted it to end Same. i could have sat there for six hours I, that i think that is now going to become a perennial christmas watch for yes. me because it's just so so like that show is so sweet and uplifting and somehow never saccharine and that episode like does that but with christmas mm-hmm. that was almost gonna be my gonna be my plug for this week yeah like, just talking about just the christmas talking episode. About ted lasso episode of christmas it's great if you guys aren't watching ted lasso go watch ted lasso especially it is, the it, christmas episode it is the most heartwarming show i've ever seen yeah it's, and i've seen a lot of shows yes you especially have um yeah i this episode to me is absolutely one of the best we've gotten so far. And again, it's, it's going to set up some key points going forward. Shair being back at um, the, the watchtower and back part of the league, the conflict that's going to cause between her and John and Vixen. Um, you know, these are pretty big threads going forward. Yeah. Do those hallways, do those hallways, bathrooms, like, are they compatible for her wings? Are they big that's enough? True. Yeah. What happens when her wings get wet? Yeah. Can she fly as well? I don't think it's so. probably I not. Really, I mean, birds like birds, you know, the water just like slips off their wings for the most part. Some of them. Yeah. But then they, there's like butterflies that like well, can't fly. Well, yeah. But butterflies don't have feathers. Right. Yeah. I don't know anything about birds. I'm not a bird person. I'm a dog person. Through and through. Good. Uh, have any other uh, thoughts on Wake the Dead? Uh, I think that's about it. Great episode. One of my favorites. Very, very good. All right. Well, I did promise it last week. The return of Notes from Friends. Oh, goody. I'm excited to hear all the mistakes I've made over the past four weeks. Uh, we, 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 we've we been getting a lot of comments on YouTube, and I will often just kind of respond to those directly on YouTube. But I did, I did pull a couple here. 
uh, to share. So um, one uh, was from uh, Solomon Sultani, who writes to us very often. Always love the comments and the, uh, the questions starting there. And he messaged on YouTube and said, hey, guys, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Um, I was wondering what happened to you guys. Uh, glad to hear from you again. Also, I've been looking at some of Cameron's Instagram posts and think it's awesome that he is seeing a therapist. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, I've been seeing a therapist for a while now, and I think it's very important to look after your mental health. Yes, it is. So I, I, I wanted to pull that comment out specifically because people probably have been wondering why we took off like three or four months. It was meant to be like a month break, and it was, I'll be honest, it was all on me. I had a job at the time that was having me work like 11 hours a day. Uh, so all of my life had to be lived on the weekends and then trying to spend roughly six hours on the weekend also trying to record and edit a podcast was just becoming a little bit too much. So Yeah, and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and you did. Yeah, I just didn't want to do it. So The editing. Now, I, I wanted to do the podcast. I didn't want yeah, to do Yeah, you don't want to do the editing. Yeah. It's mostly it's the editing that takes up a lot of the time. But it, basically, like, this actually ended up being a, a very uh, effective question and all tied together because it was basically for my mental health that I like took a step away for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're, we're back and it's nice to be back. Uh, and just general, like, yes, like I also have been going to therapy for like six years. Super, super helpful. Helped me through a lot of shit, including the period where I decided to take a break from the podcast and needed a break. Um, you know, and, and generally you and I are very big advocates of like looking out for mental health. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I and I think it's something worth talking about i really don't get i feel like it's not really our generation so much but i feel like kind of the generation before us had a bit of a stigma against it sort of thing it's like oh it's like don't talk about going to see a therapist I'm like i tell everyone i see a therapist well i think i think that's very much an la culture thing which i think is hilarious that's probably also a bit of an uh, it's an la thing too yeah isn't yeah because like i'll go back home and i have friends that are like oh well you talk about your therapy i'm like all like instantly all the time like yeah. i immediately talk to my coworkers like oh my god you can't believe what my therapist said yeah it's like that's that's so normal out here yeah, I mean, it. I guess, yeah, I guess it is just kind of like normalized for us out here. But it's like it's it's also part of it because it's, if you think it's like a bad thing to be going, you're only just burying yourself deeper in, in issues. Yeah, it's all part of just helping all the time. Yeah, everyone should be doing it. Yeah, I'm constantly telling my family like, yeah, it would probably be helpful. I'm like, yeah, you should probably just go see a therapist possibly. Mm -hmm. But and, and like, look, fully recognizing that also like you and I are in positions where it's easy for us to get access to therapy and not everyone can. Yeah. It's very easy out in LA. Yeah. It really, really is. But I think more than anything else, like I, I wanted to flag this comment just because uh, one, one people understand why we took a break and two, just be like, it is a really important thing. You know, do whatever you can to kind of help with your mental health. I, I mean, I've had some people say that like listening to podcasts, including ours is part of like their de-stressor and part of helps them relax and is kind of part of that exercise. But generally like for those that they find that's helpful, I'm certainly glad and, you know, we don't intend to take any long breaks in the dozen remaining episodes <laughs> yeah. we roughly have uh, under Tim Talk here. Uh, but no, so, you know, thank you, Solomon, as always, for writing in. Um, yeah, you know, glad to hear you're, you're taking care of mental health and doing well as well. Yeah, so. especially after this past year. Everyone Ugh. everyone needs someone to talk to. Fuck this year. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay. And then we also got a, a comment from uh, Jake, a.k.a. The Overvoid, a, a friend of the show and then a, a frequent... Um, say writer inner but i couldn't think of the actual proper noun to use there now we'll go with writer inner yeah <laughs> a frequent listener writer inner notes from friends or um who asked uh, which of the unreleased slash upcoming disney plus shows are we most looking forward to uh he said he was most excited for what if but after watching a video on some of moon knight's funniest lines i'm honestly more excited for moon knight now uh, and he linked uh, a video below, which I'll put in the show notes, of uh, someone doing, like, readings of some of Moon Knight's best lines. So, 
Um, I mean, we're going to talk about What If a little bit in our plugs. Um, but outside of that, which of the Disney Plus shows are you most looking forward to, Cameron? And oh, man. I, I will extend this slightly. I think the implication here was Marvel. It's perfectly fine if you say <laughs> high school, mu- the musical, the musical, the show, whatever it's called, season three. It is MTMTS. <laughs> season two was a bit of a disappointment for all of I enjoyed it. I love season two. I will watch the show forever. Uh-huh. Very high for season three. Um, I feel like What If was my, like, big show. Same, actually. I'm really. I mean, I am I'm, okay. I am very excited for Miss Marvel. Yes. I've read a lot just of those comics. Marvel. Yep. She's a great character. I'm super excited for her to get a show. For her to be in the Marvels. I am excited for Moon Knight just because Moon Knight seems super fucking weird. Plus Oscar Isaac. Um, but like, uh, the thing is, at this point, I just trust Marvel. Like, they just keep putting out good stuff. I don't really know much about She Hulk, either the character or what we're getting on the show. But I have, you know, high hopes for it. I am very excited for She Hulk because it it it's uh courtroom drama with superheroes yeah like, that's hilarious yeah it's, you know it's ally mcbeal yeah but with superheroes right but with the abomination exactly <laughs> yeah um but i mean yeah, I, I was really excited for what if as well mm-hmm. and uh it, it did not disappoint so far yes i it, i want so much more yeah do do we any other upcoming shows you want to talk about or should we just use this as a segue to get into bat plugs and talk about what if I'm sure there's a dozen that I just can't think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, Loki 2, Loki season 2 is going to be great. Yeah. Bad Batch, when it comes back, they just announced season 2. Bad Batch bad, is great. Bad, bad Batch is really, really good. Did you watch the finale? I did. Oh, it's great. It's good. It's really I was good. in a really good place going in this weekend with, yeah. with <laughs> Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, Bad Batch. My other plug I'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, even, yeah, it's really getting into Star Wars. Like, I'm super excited for the Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. for Mando season 3. For Ahsoka? Yeah, because they just announced uh, What's-Her-Face is going to be in. Or they uh, just opened casting. Yeah, there's heavy rumors that they're trying to cast Sabine Wren to be in this, especially because after, we'll call this a a spoiler for Mando Season 2. We're we're a little far on. It's relatively minor. But in the Ahsoka-focused episode, uh, which was written by Dave Filoni, critically, because he did all of Rebels and he did Clone Wars, it's kind of his universe in a lot of ways. In that episode, Ahsoka's looking for Thrawn grand admiral thrawn who is an amazing fucking character i have read the now legacy star wars novels the um the thrawn the trilogy. trilogy from timothy zahn which are really good and i'm just gonna say this would honestly not have worked well as movies so all you people who thought that the disney movies sucked which i'd say about one and a half of them do those would not have worked but they could have been well whatever could have been adapted but thrawn's amazing character i've read three of the new canon novels and i've seen all of rebels he is so interesting and so cool. So we presume he's going to be a central part of that. And if Thrawn is out there, Ezra's out there. Mm-hmm. You have not finished Rebels yet, right? I have not. Okay, I won't say why that is a thing, but that is a thing. They are tied together. Well, haven't they announced a live-action Ezra? Nope. They have not confirmed casting for anyone other than Ahsoka. Okay. Because we don't know who's playing Thrawn. We don't know who's playing Sabine. We don't know if we're going to get an Ezra, but I would presume we are. Um, again, I won't see the details of how, but he's part of that. So I'm super excited for that, too. Maybe the most excited for that. Okay. But anyways, should we get into plugs then? Let's do some plugs. All right. Let's get in there. Let's start with What If. So okay. as of recording, What If episode one has come out. The Captain Carter episode. Incredible. Fucking loved it. I did not realize I had, I, I had a new um, kink, which is... Tall British women with shields. <laughs> I mean, Cameron, 
I'm into that too. Yeah. No one's that gay. Yes. Right? Not, not with Peggy coming around. No. Glamazon Peggy going around kicking ass. Yes, please. It was in, it's such a good episode. It's it's great. I mean, again, Haley Atwell is so charming and so charismatic, and that still comes through in animation. She like, if I had one frustration with this episode, is that I didn't get a chance. We won't get a chance probably to see how literally the entire rest of the MCU would have played out if Peggy had been. Uh, Captain, Captain Carter, Carter instead of Captain America. Yeah. I was going to say my biggest complaint is Bastion Stan is not a voice actor. No, it was him. No, I mean, he was not a good oh, voice actor. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I will say this, that uh, some of the others, maybe voice acting wasn't quite their their forte. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is fine. They're amazing fine. actors in their own. Yeah, Voice exactly. acting is its whole other beast. It's a very different thing. It, it should show studios that you can't just cast high-name actors and expect good success every time exactly yeah it's its, its own very challenging skill set um <clears throat> but yeah i had so much fun with it and it it reminded me of btos in some ways i remember something you brought up on our very first podcast episode when we were talking about on leather wings wow which is that the the producers and writers of btos always wanted to have one segment that justified it being animation like one like so in on leather wings it's when batman's getting like pulled through the Gotham skyline by a man bat, right? Something that would be very, very hard to do in live action. And I felt like they gave us that in what if, and I'm thinking in particular, the sequence where Peggy is riding on the back of Steve's Mm. Nazi smasher and jumps off and starts taking out German warplanes in mid air. I didn't know I needed that in my life. And then I got it. And then I needed more. She, yes. Everything about her was just incredible. When she stops the the truck with just her shoulder. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And then does it again. (laughs) Like, if you think about it, she would have been the ideal candidate. Because, like, I mean, Steve has, you know, the the, the heart and the spirit of a good person. So does Peggy. But she's also a strategist. She's not necessarily a military strategist. She's, you know, an espionage. She's an agent, as she puts it. Mm -hmm. But... She would actually know how to bring tactical awareness and strategy in because she's been doing it for years. And you know what Steve doesn't have? Any of those things? A sword. That's right. He doesn't have a sword. <laughs> Give her a fucking... Well, I, I read in the comics that she gets Excalibur. Oh, okay. Which is like fucking Excalibur with the shield. And the super soldier serum. Is inc- like, un- you're, you're a god. You're yeah. unstoppable. She, it's it's just so, it's so much fun. You know, obviously, the Red Skull's back, and it's um, uh, Ross Marquardt who did the voice in Endgame and Infinity War coming back to reprise the role because Hugo Weaving does not want to do it. Fair, fair enough. Even without the makeup, he still said no. Which he still, you know, I know. that's fine. Still said no. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just I, I love that they get the cosmic cube, they get the tesseract, which means they have a power source. So, like uh, Howard is able to create basically an Iron Man suit you know, 70 years before Tony builds one in the desert. It was just so, so much fun, you know? And, and I mean, we've talked a lot about it. I don't want to give any specific spoilers, but they still find a way to kind of keep some of the major beats of the Captain America story in there as well. And I thought in a, a fairly effective yeah. way. Well, also potentially setting up something bigger for the universe. That's true. Yes. And, and that is uh, an as of yet unanswered question, which is how connected are these what ifs going to be? I mean, the framing device is uh, the the amazing Jeffrey Wright voicing the Watcher. We don't know. Are these all going to be tied together? Like, this may not be the last time we see 
Captain Carter, and I sure as shit hope not. I same. I just give Haley Atwell so like she deserves so much for the shit that Marvel put her through. I know. I, yeah, I mean, because I, I didn't love Agent Carter the series, but I loved her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think it, it just it was a bit of a weird, just kind of a mess. Um, but she's she's just continued to be fantastic. And I mean, look at this point now, the multiverse is open, so very real possibility we could down the line potentially see her play live action captain carter even if it's just a cameo yeah uh this is super fun i'm i'm very excited to see what else they throw at us yeah because next week is chadwick boseman's episode oh that's right yeah what if uh t'challa was star lord mm-hmm. very interesting it's very interesting yeah that one plays out um but yeah no i i really really uh had a lot of fun with this me too uh, what's your other plug this week? Uh, I have two quick plugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Free Guy. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. is, it's so much better than I thought it was going to be. Hey, that's good. It It's so fun and it definitely benefited from, and you'll understand after you see it, I won't explain why, but it benefited so much for being a Disney property. Okay. And it needed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, it's a great time. It's a great feel good movie. I, I have nothing but praise for it. Ryan Reynolds is great. Mm-hmm. Everyone in it is great. That's awesome. Yeah, so my other quick plug to attach to that is a book that I'm almost done reading, listening to for mm-hmm. you, yes. called Tokyo Ever After, Oh, which is a newer book. It's a YA book, but it's it was pitched to me, and it is exactly this. Uh, it is Princess Diaries meets Crazy Rich Asians. That sounds fantastic. It's so charming, and it's so lovely. Okay. Uh, it's a girl who's graduating high school finds out that she is the uh, daughter of the Japanese prince, Mm -hmm. a next in line prince. Uh, And so she flies to Japan and kind of tries to figure out one living in another country that she's never experienced their culture while also trying to understand like what royalty means. That's really cool. It's really great. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's just nice. Just yeah. a nice little book. We like nice things. Yeah. You know? Not thinking too much. <laughs> it's, just, it's just there. And I like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sounds really lovely. Is it The Princess Diaries or The Princess Bride meets? Princess Diaries. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So Anne Hathaway meets Crazy Rotations. I mean, I love The Princess Diaries. Me too. I, I rewatched them very recently. Okay. I've been meaning to go back and rewatch it again. Uh, also, I just saw that Mrs. Doubtfire is now on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that's awesome. So definitely, I haven't seen that one in years. I need to go back in that one. Uh, the first Princess Diaries is great. The second one is also great, but Chris Pine is not at, at like he's not Chris Pine yet. Okay, he's not like that would be my main reason to go back is he's got the eyes. He's got pretty rough hair. Yeah, I do remember that. It's about... it's, it's you know late two thousands. Yeah, so, you know I... no one knew what they were doing with hair yet. I do remember that? I mean, look uh, for me, uh, Pete Chris Pine, Star Trek two thousand nine. Oh, I was gonna say this means war. Ooh. That is that is my Chris Pine. You know what? I have I have not seen that movie since it came out, but I remember enjoying it. It's it it's very good. I, I think it's uh for free on Amazon right now. Okay, it, it, I'm trying to remember. At any point is Chris Pine ever in just very very small tight trunks? Not in that movie. Then I think Star Trek will still hold the top spot for me. Fair. Yes. Uh, what what are you plugging? <laughs> Uh, so on top of what if I started watching, um, Big Mouth this week. Oh, which I, I welcome have, to the club. I have obviously known about it cause it's, I think now in its fourth season, mm-hmm. um, I've known about it for a long time. It's just, I never got around to it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and watch it. And so it's, you know, it's Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, both of whom I adore. Yep. And it's really funny and weird. And I was worried 
like partway through the first episode, it was just going to be a little bit too uncomfortable. I was, I was a little bit worried I was going to suffer from like eighth grade syndrome, yep. like in the sense that the movie exactly eighth, how I was going to praise it. Yeah, like the movie eighth grade is amazing, but also so hard to watch because it's just so it's a perfect encapsulation of what it's like to be that age in that time of life. And no one wants to revisit that because it's horrible and uncomfortable. This does that, but it's also so heightened and ridiculous and silly that it plays it off pretty well. Yeah, it it's a hard movie to pitch to people because it is so raunchy. It is. But it's so smart. It's very smart and it's like it's something that kids like teenagers and tweens would probably benefit from watching because it's just takes a very like it's I can't call it a grounded approach to that age, but it's a very it's it's sincere in how it handles being that age. It just does it with like hormone monsters and the the ghosts of Duke Ellington and stuff like that. Like <laughs> it's so silly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very, very smart. Um, and I, and I think well, well intentioned, which is kind of a weird word to use, but I I think it's generally trying to actually say something constructive about being that age. Yeah. It's, there was, there was an article that came out a while ago about people trying to like hate on big mouth for its, for its humor. And the writers came out and basically said like, we're doing, we're doing this so well. Like we are making jokes at no one's expense yeah. while also educating people yeah it's true uh, there's really kind of nothing else out there like it yeah yeah so i've only just started thinking of like three or four episodes in um but definitely gonna keep going with it mm-hmm. so yeah. i think i i think i'm up through season three so i think i need to watch the most recent one okay yeah, yeah it's so much fun it really is i just it's it's ridiculous and campy and and the cast like you mentioned nicole and john mulaney but it's like uh Peel, uh, oh, Jordan yeah, Peel, Jordan is, Peel. Is, is, is the Duke. Yeah, um, Jason Manzukis is playing a, a lot of characters in there, and mm-hmm. I just I like scrolled through to see, and like it, it has this ridiculously deep bench of like guest voice actors in there too. Yeah, like everyone wants to be on the show. It's it's like the comedy family. Yeah, it's oh, it's great. It's yeah. Really, really good. Highly recommend that one. And so refreshing after Netflix's many attempts at like an adult humor show, which have all just bombed. Yeah, it it's. It's like there. I think you could draw comparisons from this to Sex Education. Mm-hmm. They're like they're very different shows and very different tones, but at their core, there's something similar going on there, which is like a very sincere look at a very uncomfortable age, um, while also being like funny and heartfelt. That's been taboo for so long. That's exactly it. Yeah, and just like totally leaning into the tabooness of it rather than shying away from it, and yeah. basically proving like it's kind of silly that you've made this taboo. Like it's very yeah. silly. When we made need this. to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, th- th- these are things that actually need to be discussed and you have found ways to not talk about it in a way that's just going to make everyone's life much, much more difficult and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. Ah, but it's good. We're working it's good, on it. But it's very good. Yeah. So go check that one out. But that does it for us this week. Yes. We're done with this bumper episode of Tim Talk. So we'll be back in our next episode discussing the finale of Justice Limited Season 1, The Once and Future Thing, a fantastic two-parter that I remember loving and have not seen in 20 years. Neither have I. I'm very excited. Very excited. They go back to the Wild West, right? Yeah. And (gasps) to the future. Oh, oh, I don't remember that part. I remember Jonah Hex. Yes. Both. It's like the, the opposite of Back to the Future. Ooh. Yeah, the, the past first, then to the future. Okay. It's exciting. It's such good. It's really Who good. Who sleeps with their mom this time? Batman. Well, that's unfortunate. Yes. 
That's the worst one. <laughs> the worst one. I'm if gonna any hero is going to have an Oedipus complex, I would not want it to be Batman. Yep. So, real excited. <laughs> real excited to get to that. Uh, but if you want to reach us, we are at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and uh, as mentioned before, also on YouTube. If you yes, want to leave yes, us yes, a, yes. A, a comment there, uh, I will usually reply to this directly, but occasionally I'll, I'll pull some onto the show as well. So, And then you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. If you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Disney Pass is open back up in two weeks. Oh, boy. Very excited. I say we weren't going to take a long hiatus, but I might lose Cameron <laughs> to Disneyland on every weekend. Hey, we can, going we can record at Disneyland. No. <laughs> okay, fine. We, I, we can record at Disneyland and deal with all of the horrible sound issues, but uh, you're paying for me to have one of those annual passes. Sure. Okay, great. All yeah. right. <laughs> we'll be coming to you live from Disneyland soon. Great. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Beautiful. I got it this time. More off pitch every time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>